I'm John Guest, one of the pastors here, and it's a joy for me to welcome you to what is really the first worship service of our new year together. So in a sense then, I want you to see yourself standing on the threshold of a new year. New years present new opportunities, and psychologically it's always great to have new beginnings. And here we are with a new beginning to a whole new season of worship for us at Christ Church at Grove Farm. We had a great Advent and Christmas season. And uh, that whole thought of anticipation, looking forward to that empty crib holding the Savior of the world, for us to celebrate his birthday, We had a great Advent and Christmas season. I suppose uh, somewhere along the way, we will have the final numbers. But our numbers exceeded anything for the last several years on our Christmas Eve and Christmas Day services. Very inspiring. Creates an anticipation for what God's going to do here in this worship service in the year to come. And in terms of our pledging going into the new year, this is just, I'm not giving you numbers, but I know the staff and leadership are encouraged because, again, the pledging has been so responsive that we are looking at numbers that resemble several years ago because we've been through something of a trough here. We're coming out of it and we're anticipating what God's going to be doing this year. And it's in that spirit that as you and I meet to worship and we consider God's word, that he speaks to us. We've taken the theme this morning for our worship, revive. And there are a series of psalms in the middle of the whole 150 psalms, series of psalms by an author, Asaph. And without getting into the history of him and those psalms, The one we looked at this morning, at least the last verses of the one we looked at this morning, Psalm 80 and verses 18 and 19, the closing verses of that psalm. Let me read them to you again. Then we will not turn away from you, Asaph speaking to God in prayer, revive us. And we will call on your name. Restore us, O God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved. And the scene that's described in that psalm is bleak, miserable, anguish, pain. But here is Asaph calling out to God and saying, you revive us. And we will call out on your name. You restore us, Lord. You restore us. And we'll be true to you. We'll be faithful to you. Reviving and restoration are God's business. Revive. The word viva from the French to live. To relive, to be relifed, to be reinvigorated, 
revived, re-stimulated to the kind of life and joy and enthusiasm that some of us, looking back over our lives, remember. And Asaph's praying for that experience of God all over again to be revived and to be restored. There's such a spectacular concept described in the Old Testament where one man is saying and speaking to God and getting the encouragement from God that the years that the locust has eaten will be restored. Such a sad picture of life being wasted. One man came up to me after the last service and said, that's my favorite verse. I didn't get to know the Lord until I was 40. I wasted so much of my life that God would restore to me all that got wasted. My own brother came to faith in his 40s. Brilliantly, wonderfully, God got a hold of him. I came to faith when I was 18, so about half my Christian life I was witnessing to my brother up until that point. And then one day he wrote and told me how he came to faith. This was over in London, England. But in his early 40s, when he surrendered his heart to Christ, he said, I went up to my bedroom, knelt by my bed, and wept for the wasted years. That God could restore to us all that we've squandered and wasted and misused, all the opportunities we've missed, the bad decisions we've made that have taken us down wrong paths not necessarily into sin, but away from what God's deepest pleasure in us might have been. And anyone, all of us can respond to this. The need to be revived with a new enthusiasm as we enter into this new year. To be restored, to have God add back to our lives, even, by His grace, by His goodness, by His desire. And inasmuch as God is inspiring this prayer, oh, that we might pray it ourselves. I mean, really, really plead with God to revive us and restore us. Who wants to squander any more of their lives? Who wants to keep missing out on God's plans for our lives because we're ourselves deliberately stalling, unable to make the tough decision, even to pray about it, the willingness to even ask God. And I'm trusting that in this sense of our worship, God is speaking to you, has been stimulating you in bringing you to this day and to this worship service along the way He has already been planting the seeds of a revival in your own life and experience and a renewal of your love for him and a restoration of all that you squandered and wasted that you might be the man or woman, the student, the retiree that God has in mind for you. I'm speaking this to myself. I'm speaking it to the Reverend Barry Mariana, our worship team and leadership and to you. Will you pray that prayer? Will you in earnestly, in earnest, 
pray that God revive. There are two things that are clear in this. That prayer anticipates God's response. We're not just uttering poetry to God. We're not passing back on to him some good ideas he may have given us to think about. Prayer, as described here, especially in the face of the opposition that the world brings against us. The attack on the Christian faith is overt and in your face, even as we sit here. It's in the high-profile media, it's in the entertainment industry, in our universities, and it's the culture that we breathe, an antagonism against what used to be considered the norm for good behavior and moral Christian living. It's all under attack. Israel was in deep distress when Asaph cried out to God for this restoration. But in asking for it, he anticipated it. His response was that if you revive us, we will call on your name. He was looking to what the result would be. And if God acted, he was saying, this is what we will do. So the second part of prayer is our response. That prayer commits us to an appropriate response given what we're calling out to God to do. You revive us. We will call out in your name. You restore us, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon us that we may be saved. So there is the anticipation on the one hand that God is going to hear and answer our prayer. And in that anticipation, a commitment on our part to respond. Some of you know the name A.W. Tozer. Years ago, he wrote a brilliant article about faith without expectation being dead. If there is no anticipation, where is the faith and therefore what's the use of all that we profess? Listen to these words. True faith is never alone. It is always accompanied by expectation. The man or woman who believes the promises of God expects to see them fulfilled. Where there is no expectation, there is no faith. Bold and strong statement. The corollary is true, too, that where there is faith, there must be expectation. Real faith, he goes on to say, is not the stuff of dreams. Rather, it is tough, practical, and altogether realistic. Faith sees the invisible, but does not see the non-existent. Faith engages God, the one great reality, who gave and gives existence to all things. God's promises conform to reality, and whoever trusts those promises enters a world not of fiction, but of fact. And whilst long, one last comment in this context. 
He says, faith introduces another and radically different element into our lives. By faith we know, referring to Hebrews, by faith we know. It is the word that lifts our knowing onto a higher level. Faith engages facts that have been revealed from heaven, and by their nature, they do not respond to scientific tests. The Christian knows a thing to be true, not because he has verified it in experience, but because God has said it. His expectations spring from his confidence in the character of God. Let me put in front of you several means of grace by which God can take and use your faith. The first is this. Given that we are talking about prayer and praying and asking God to revive us, that you would ask the Lord from the bottom of your heart to revive you and to restore to you the passion, the past that you've squandered, the opportunities that you have missed, to begin again with him. That would be your prayer. Secondly, that you would be into the scriptures every day out of which I am preaching and out of which the promises of God come by which when we pray, our expectations are lifted because of his promises to us. So it's not that we're pleading to a God who in some sense is resistant and making himself hard to be present with, but a God who pursues us, inspires us, desires from us such a plea, and in our making that prayer, takes his word and it becomes a reality to us. It brings present and viable and real to you and me How in acting in faith, God has made promises that we can trust and thereby he will provide. Whatever he's promised. How are you going to keep that all in line? How is that going to be inspired? Out of God's word. Thirdly, to get connected. There are any number of ways that this can happen. There are two things I want to put in front of you, very deliberately. The first is the Truth Project, which you saw advertised at halftime. The Truth Project is several years old. I've seen it myself. And the first time around that I saw it, I thought, this is so brilliant that I would take a whole year of worship, not preach sermons, and just show week after week the teaching from the Truth Project. How would that suit you guys? It's brilliant. I don't think it's going to happen. But you can turn up at 10.15 next Sunday down in Fellowship Hall. I'm expecting the response to this to be expectation. My anticipation is going to be so phenomenal that we will end up having to have adult education either in this space or in Wilson Hall because it won't be big enough. That's going to be happening. Anticipate it. Turn up early next week. So many of you wander into this service after it's about 15, 20 minutes over. 
Some of us sometimes wonder well, who's going to be here when we walk out. You get here for 10, 15, next, that, that means getting here at 10 o'clock. Get a cup of coffee and come down to the Truth Project in Fellowship Hall. And over this next season of education, you will get connected because we're expecting more small groups, more discussion groups to come out of this. If you're not connected in some small group way to some group of people in ministry or in fellowship, you need to get connected. I can tell you this, outside of your getting connected, you are a pick off certainty for Satan. He's after you. You sit out there on your own. You're a sitting target. You need the fellowship of other believers, not just the worship experience of Sunday morning, but to get connected. And last of all, and not least of all, that God would give to you in this renewal and revival of your own faith the willingness and the availability to share with your friends, neighbors, work associates, schoolmates, people you work out with, recreate with, that you will share what God has done for you and share the good news about what God is doing in people's lives. It's amazing what God is doing. Who are you connected to to find that out? How do you know? God is at work in your life. Have you shared it with anyone? Do they know? I mentioned a chap who came and said, that's my favorite verse. The years that the locust have eaten, I will be restored because he squandered so much of his life. And some of you said, yes, that's me. But out of that testimony, God speaks. We did a wedding here yesterday, beautiful wedding. I'm sitting with the pastor who came and shared in the wedding. I said, how did you come to know the Lord? It was exciting to hear his story. It was most unlikely because he was a super straight pastor. I don't know how you view me, but this guy was super straight. I guess you think I'm super straight too. <laughs> this guy was into drugs in high school at age 13. But he was into soccer, and drugs and soccer didn't go together. And then his girlfriend gave him a book when he graduated that had the Christian devotions in it. And the girlfriend thing never went anywhere. So he did a walk-on at Syracuse University and got into their soccer team. And two of the other defensemen loved Jesus. And out of those friendships, he came to know the Lord. The guy has since spent 10 years reaching Arabs with the gospel. Now he's got a bunch of Yankee Arabs he's going after, people like you and me. I'm telling you that. Who else gets to tell you those things? Do you talk to anybody about this kind of stuff? Do you know about it? He told me how, how his wife came to know the Lord and her family. It's amazing. How did you come to know the Lord? Is it worth telling? Where do you get to begin even to show it? And that we might have about us an awareness of the environment in which we're living, people we're running into, Pastor, this isn't just showing off, but to show you how it was, Pastor Jamie and I were having lunch talking about today's sermon. And he had on the table the Revive card that we've sent out to all the young adults. Well, we had this 20, 30-something young lady waiting on us. And she saw it. 
And out of the conversation, she got an invitation to be a part of it. And I meant to say this, by the way. When you saw it's being hosted at my home and Kathy's home, we're not running that show. You don't need a couple of old birds with all these 20, 30-somethings running that scene. Pastor Jamie and his team are running that deal. But we're starting off with an invitation to our home and in a very informal setting to begin to talk about it. We're expecting out of that to see all sorts of amazing connectedness. If you're in that 20, 30-somethings, be there. That's it. But I want to close with this thought. If what we have asked God is appropriate, and of the Spirit of God coming right out of the word of the Lord here, if that is the way it really is, and his world, his environment, his promises, his presence is where reality is. Truth, the real deal. What are you willing to make as your commitment, your response to God revealing that to you? Because there is an appropriate response. And outside of making that response, you'll turn up wailing and moaning and groaning, hopefully, because you've missed it one more time around. There is this remarkable word from actually the 17, maybe 1800s. It was quoted by W.J. Murray in a, a writing of his called the Scottish Himalayan Expedition. But he was quoting Goethe, the German poet, dramatist, novelist, and scientist. And in quoting him, this is what Goethe was reputed to say. Until one is committed, there is always hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness as a result. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans. The moment one commits oneself, then God's providence moves too. Multitudes of things occur to help that which otherwise would never have occurred. A stream of events issues from the decision, raising to one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents, meetings, and material assistance, which no one could have dreamed would come their way. And here's the encouragement to a bold response on your part. Whatever you can dream or that you might do, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. I have found that to be so absolutely true in connection with God's promises, his word, his ways, and his examples. That when we commit ourselves to him and to his way, all the ineptness, all that we feel we don't have to get it done, all that we dream might happen if we would only get after it, God 
in a spectacular way, responds to that faith which he in his first place is eliciting and calling for and makes provision. Have you ever heard this statement? God's work done God's way will never lack God's resources. That's J. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary. Have you ever heard this phrase? And it's equally brilliant. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That was Jim Elliot, martyr to the Alka Indians in South America in the 50s. He died a young man. Have you ever heard this phrase? If Christ be God and died for me, no sacrifice I can ever make for him will be too great. Who discovered that? Young man in Cambridge, England, C.T. Studd, played cricket, that's big time in England, for both the University of Cambridge and the British team, and gave it all up and a wealth, he was born into immense wealth, to become a missionary in Africa. During his courtship to his wife, his dad died and left him a fortune. And here he is out on the mission field. And he said to his bride, he said, if this is okay with you, I'm going to give 90% of that wealth away and give a tenth to you as a dowry for our, our life. And she said, CT, let's start even. Give it all away. And they did. But did God provide through him and for him? The mark of his life is extraordinary. Having given that wealth away, how God provided and used him. Boldness, boldness of faith is a gift from God. One of the big verses over my life, be strong and of a good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. John Guest. Put your name in there. Wherever you go. Are you up for a new year? Are you ready to pray? Lord, revive me. Restore me. Please. In Jesus' name. Call out to him. Let's begin again together, shall we? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for leaving your home in glory to come and be one of us in that amazing act to take upon yourself our sin as you went to the cross and bore the guilt, the shame, the judgment that we deserved. And here we stand at the threshold of this new year, which we give back to you. We give ourselves to you anew and afresh. Even as we come to receive the bread and the wine of your last supper, Lord, we come to you, to your cross, and surrender to you. Thank you for the gift of the opportunity to respond to you and your call to us to come to you, join ourselves to you,
Thank you, Lord Jesus.